Hello and welcome. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Filling in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader, along with... Alex Brantford Rasmussen. Mike Molina. And Doug Sprinthal. Doug Sprinthal from Walzer.com. What's going on, sir? I like the dead count intro. It's very professional. Like Unusual that? for this show. No. Usually we kind of like sneak up on the start. <laughs> and then Dad gets all mad that we did it don't wrong because we had no idea then what we'll was forget. happening. Yeah. So, oh, you're, we're doing a live spot. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, a lot going on. Speaking the, of, what's the in, live spot for today? In the Twin Cities <laughs> Auto World, we're a Twitter with excitement because the auto show starts this Saturday. It runs through, starts Saturday, runs through the following Sunday, the 18th. Great new car deals if you are in the market for a new car. You can see all of our specials at walzer.com. And we're doing a little contest thing. So what I want anybody uh, that would like to participate, send me a commercial. Write and record a Walzer commercial. It can be a 30-second. It can be a minute. If they're really funny or something, we'll probably play them on the air in the next week. We're going to give away five pairs of tickets to the auto show. Uh, we'll announce the winner on the morning show next Thursday. So this is the first announcement. So you can get your creative juices going. Send your submissions to, boy, that sounds bad, <laughs> Doug at Walzer.com. <laughs> It's better than sending your emissions there. That's true. We'd prefer you not send those at all. Walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tall and tan and young and lovely, the gal from so Alex, back. Yeah. Alex, how do you know where the Masonic Temple is in St. Paul Park? That doesn't seem to be the. I lived in St. Paul. I was like everywhere. But St. Paul Park's on the other side of the river down by Cottage Grove. But I like knew people from college that lived okay. on the other side. I don't know. It's like once you live in a city for a while, you get around. That's off the beaten track. Though. It's a Masonic yes. secret how she knows it. Right? <laughs> Sorry, back off. Sorry. If you Sorry. push too much more, you're going to get followed home by some black cars. Sorry, I blew up. <laughs> hey, we have some breaking news. St. Paul students walk to the Capitol demanding safer schools and tighter gun laws. Students are marching from the area of Hamlin, Universe, or Hamlin Avenue South and Randolph to the Capitol in St. Paul to demand safer schools and tighter gun laws. Police say more than 2,000 students are marching, and an estimated 5,000 people have gathered at the Capitol. 
You can watch it all right now, I guess, over on Fox 9 live streaming video on Facebook. Wednesday morning, Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton unveiled his proposal to provide $15.9 million to enhance safety in schools throughout the state. The Safe and Secure Schools Act would use the surplus to boost school funding by $18 a student, totaling $15.9 million in 2019. The revenue would be used for school safety improvements and the identification and support of students that may be a danger to themselves or others. The proposal also includes an additional $5 million for school-based grants that would provide mental health services to students who need added support. Now, to me, that's some of the best news I've ever heard, right? <laughs> we're, we're taking the whole thing into account now, not just let's worry about guns. But yeah. The whole... yeah, you know what? We are and we aren't. We're worried about we're taking the whole thing into account as it happens, as it pertains to schools, but when crazy people walk into movie theaters and shoot everybody... Right, Which doesn't happen very often. That, that is not. And the school shootings are becoming more and more prevalent. At yeah. least this way we're starting to address it. And the fact is if we can get to the students that are having these issues now, maybe that's going to eliminate shootings at other locations as well. I've got a little concern. I mean, my right now my kids um, are up in arms. They want to go out. Their, their schools yeah, are nice looking pun. at doing the... Uh, <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, oh, no. My kids want to go out and do the, the protests marching around their school. And my, my daughter's like, do you have a problem with it? She was all wanting me to go to war with her. And I go, no, I believe in you standing up for what you believe is important. However, I said, the last thing I want is for this to be a public announcement so that whatever Looney Tune can't get into your school to do harm to you can now just drive by the school and shoot you all. Yeah. And she went, oh. And I said, so see, sometimes when the school's telling you we gotta we got to do this the right way, it's so that they can protect you because the kids are all up in arms that the school didn't want them to just go do it yeah. like that and, and have free reign. But there's some you've got some some concerns out there for the safety. If kids are just out parading around in front of the school and picketing, that that could put them on the literal front lines again. <laughs> but the youth of America deserve to feel safe and secure in their schools because, folks, I can only run into so many schools and save everybody. <laughs> if I could, I'd run into all of them. Even without a weapon, I'd burst through the doors and I'd be running so fast. I'm actually a very fast runner. People don't know that. <laughs> I'd be running so fast, the guy with the gun wouldn't even know what hit him. Bing, bing, ding, dong, dang, he's finished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I get emails from the Eden Prairie School District because I did ECFE, Early Childhood Family Education, with Fawn through Eden Prairie. And I got an email two days ago talking about kind of what you were saying, how if people are protesting and they're out in the streets, they're at a risk for, you know, if they're if you're protesting guns, you don't want to piss people off with guns kind well, of thing. I, to me it's not that you're pissing off the people with guns that are just going to be offended that you're you're fighting for guns but now it's it's putting you out there for the kids that yeah. couldn't figure out how to get the gun into school to do damage mm-hmm. now all i have to do is pull up yeah well and even like the women's march two years ago mm-hmm. i was like do i go i feel like i may be anytime you're protesting anything i feel like you're kind of putting yourself in a little bit of danger because sure. you're going to have somebody on the opposite side that's like, you're all terrible human beings and I'm going to kill you all, you know. We yeah. hate girls. Yeah, exactly. Down with <laughs> girls. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know. No, I, I get that point what, of it. What I don't understand is how come it seems like it's it's just focused in the United States. Like There's not school shootings worldwide. Like, Europe doesn't have school shootings. Because we have way more guns and yeah. looser gun but, control but, but, laws. No, but they have, they, have, they have lots of mass crowd shootings. I mean, all over. I mean, look at well, look they at, don't. Yeah, they don't sure. in Japan or England no, or no. Australia. No, no, Japan. There's no guns. Period. Cops don't even carry guns in Japan. 
Um, Tense but, the, but that, no but that, gun. but that you're, but in Japan you are under Japanese rule. Yeah, you I can't take that. over your government. Period. They control you at all costs. So that's not what America's about. No, I understand, and it's a, it's a tough argument. Although, you know, from a realistic standpoint, how would we take on the U.S. Army? I think the only way that that doesn't happen is we have to have faith in the moral character of the soldiers in the U.S. Army. Because if they wanted to take us out... Citizens have won a battle against the U.S. military before. You know that, right? Yeah, not in the last hundred years they have. Oh, yeah, actually, in the last hundred... Well, you've also got, I think what a lot of people are mistaking is, right, the, the right to bear arms was because we just came over from a, a government that right. took complete control. Yeah. And this was just the, our way of saying this won't ever happen again. No, I know. And, I, I, and I understand that. And I understand that that was the principle behind the act. But, again, we have to reexamine the laws and the way they were written. And, and the fact is, hey, we are also in a really weird state of, of history, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we do have a legitimate concern that our government could go yeah. to militia, I mean, or not militia, but go into uh, 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 corporal lockdowns and such. I, I understand the concern and the fears, and I understand those points, but, I, you know, I mean, there's th- this is the problem. It's, it's like a lot of the debates out there. There's no one clear answer, and that's why we can't do it. But at least they're making strides. This time there seems to be some change, which after Sandy Hook and some of these others, there was a lot of rhetoric, there was a lot of talk, there was a lot of, well, this isn't the right time, yeah. and right now people are saying, no, this is the time. And I... I but how, soon, how soon is there more shootings like the Vegas shooting? How, how many more of those are coming? Anytime you have a mass gathering of people, it gives people a chance to shoot a lot of people. Right. Well, and I think it's, I, I call it the, uh, in fact, he just died last week, the Roger Barrister effect. Now, so those of you that don't know who he is, he was an English guy, first guy to break the four-minute mile back in 1954. Right. right. And at that time, everybody said, nobody can break a four-minute mile. It's impossible. It will never happen. This will never happen. Well, 27 days after he broke the four-minute mile, another guy did it, and then all of a sudden it becomes pretty common. And I think that's why when we look at these massive school shootings, and they didn't occur when we grew up. I mean, no, no nobody I, even thought of it. But no. now since Columbine and since, well, actually, before Stockton, California is the first big one. Um, since Stockton and, and Columbine, it just it's in people's minds, and if you're twisted or distraught or whatever your mental health issue is, you go, well, this this will show them, you know. But it be, it's See, the Roger Barrister. I hear some theories about mental health and the prescription drugs they're giving kids for mental health issues. Think it has anything to do with any of it? Yes. Well, I think the guy that shot up the uh, movie theater in Colorado was clearly he was schizophrenic. I mean, he could just. But they tell, say most of the kids that do this are on some kind of medication. Do you well, think here, here's where I think the, uh, the big problem is, though, Doug? Right? We grew up in a different era mm-hmm. when a lot of our parents were home with us or taking That's care true. of it. And then then kind of my my generation, my mom and dad started working full time. So I was kind of in that first, you know, major wave of latchkey kids, right? Where we were getting our way around. Yep. So there's not that same hands on principle family wasn't uh, doesn't play as big a role. I think that, it, that that's true, but let's, you know, mathematically, blaming, though, it's such, I'm not a, blaming parents. it's such a small number of people that do this sort of right. stuff, but the results are so massive. That's why it's hard to, I mean, the guy that shot up all those people in Vegas was, what, 60, 62? He's right. older than me. And now, he, and there aren't many 62-year-olds that are going to go shoot up uh, a concert, but it really well, only takes he, a couple. And he was well off. He didn't. Yeah, he, he had a lot of money. Yeah, he had no <laughs> criminal background. He had no mental health. You know, so how do you? It, it's tough. 
Yeah, how do you, how do you prepare for this? There's no. Is it a bad thing to spend more money on mental health services and try, try to take care of kids as they're growing up? No, regardless of your stance on the gun issues, I think that that just makes common sense. I mean, we've got to take care of people. But I, I think a, the medication thing is a very interesting point because pretty much anybody can give you medication for your brain, like any doctor. You don't need to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You can just be a nurse practitioner and give somebody a prescription for Prozac, which messes up. Well, I I have a personal story. Not to interrupt you, I have a personal story on this exact matter. I was put on a medication to help me sleep. Uh, It was called, uh, uh, it was a diazepam-type medication, uh, Clonopin. Never, I took one every night before I went to bed. Never had an issue. Did, I didn't feel any difference in my brain chemistry or anything. But one day, I stopped taking it. I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to take this anymore. I've been sleeping fine. I don't need it. And guess what happened? My brain went crazy. Like, yeah. I, I no, literally was so irritable, I couldn't even wear a t-shirt. I put a t-shirt on and I had to rip it off because I was so irritable. Like, nothing could touch me. Mm-hmm. Like I went. Luckily, I was in a controlled environment. <laughs> In my house, but it made me so irritable that I, I was amazed that nobody told me you can't stop taking this all of a sudden. So I went to the doctor and freaked out. I was like, why wouldn't you tell me that you can't stop taking this drug? Like all of a sudden, you can't stop taking it. So I think that's another big problem. People are on meds and they stop taking their well, meds. Kids don't take meds. You know, you can't trust them and to then like. They go take crazy. Yeah, that's right. Because I literally was going crazy. Went crazy. Yeah, because it messes up with the neurotransmitters in your brain, oh, and fr- your brain relies on that medication to function it properly. It made me so moody and so irritable. Yeah, so when and you stop taking it, your brain is like, what? And it goes haywire. It really did. Yeah. But I was shocked how intense it was. Mm-hmm. I was shocked. But there's still a, it's a pretty big leap from irritability because of cutting off benzodiazepines right away versus picking up a rifle and shooting a bunch yeah, of Yeah, but I mean, he was taking a pill for sleep and decided, <laughs> yeah. I don't need this anymore. Right. It, he wasn't a person that's like, oh, I'm dealing with psychosis, and so I'm putting, I'm being put on this medication. Right, so somebody was on the edge, and they stopped taking yeah. their meds. I could see weird things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, and, and that is, that's, unfortunately, we're, we're a drug-dependent country. Yeah. We, we're so hooked into so many things, and we don't have any realization of what you know, when I, I had a heart attack uh, five, six years ago, they started me on a blood thinner, and they're like, hey, this is the next wave. This is going to be what people are going to be doing all the time, so you don't have to come in and, and you don't have to be in here every day being tested for blood. You don't have to. And now all of a sudden it's, oh, this is killing people. You know, that five years Oops, later. Never mind. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, and and yeah. I'm getting calls constantly from attorneys that are like, yeah, do you want to, you want to do something about this you know <laughs> you want to sue we have a lot in common we've both been married well between the two of us six times right. we have heart issues so yeah i've got an afib problem i've had it for 10 years and i take meds for it and they keep wanting to do an ablation and this oh. is how they that and for those I've of you that, that don't know is they take electrodes they stick them in your thigh up to the back of your heart and then just start playing star wars with with heart connections and i'm like yeah it doesn't and the way they sell this is the technology is way better than it was 10 years ago. And I said, well, if I can survive the next 10 years, yeah. do you think the technology then, will be even better? And maybe. Well, it might be. You know, my, my brother-in-law had a heart transplant. And really? He, yep, he had a heart wow. transplant. And he is doing amazing. In fact, within months of the transplant, he was up walking around. And now he's wow. fully recovered and doing amazing. How long? Uh, it's been... About probably a year. Wow. But he's back to work full time. 
That's you know because the the tough thing with that is sometimes your body will reject. The well, he, you have to take a lot of medication. He takes drugs, like yeah. I think ridiculous amount, like eight, like 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 forty some pills a day Oof. for the anti-rejection stuff. Yeah, and now it's I think it goes less and less as yeah. your body gets. But I don't know how long they actually last. Eventually, your body will reject it. Oh, really? Eventually, yes. But he and you know what? He it changed his perspective on life. He's a lot happier of a person. Like a lot happier. That's great. Like it's amazing how how happy this guy is. Right. If you can make these changes and and do it, I guess. Yeah. If I don't know. So there, this brings up a good question. Right. So this is your brother-in-law. My brother-in-law. Yeah. And this would mean that you have a sister. I do have a sister. That you've never talked about. Ellie oh. Nick has a sister. I do. Maybe there's a reason three, for that. Uh, Her name is Cincy no, Cindy. No, I have a great sister. Three years older than me. Just she lives in the Philadelphia area, so it's okay. Different realm, different, different world. Realm. Yeah, different world. Well, the, the, yeah. The problem is there's just too much going on and not enough understanding of what really is happening. How we can make it. Listen, there's a lot of great medical leaps and advances, advancements that are being made, and and there are cases where medicines are doing really great things and they're helping people in other countries and they're not getting approved here. And it's a lengthy process. And now we kind of understand why because when some of these are being pushed through, there's no accountability when things go horribly wrong with these yeah, drugs. Yeah, you can't sue any medical anything. Right, and when the, the the people that push these things through, because we've talked about it on our show in the past, some of these guys and, and uh, people behind these uh, new drugs get them pushed through, even though they haven't hit all the standards, when things go horribly wrong, there's nobody to hold accountable, even though they didn't follow the proper protocol. You can't see that. And that's only in America. All right, we have to take a break. We'll continue this conversation and more. You're listening to The Tom Bernard Show. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends. Let Flow enhance your experience with their rock-solid dock systems. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented easy level system. Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Visit Flow at the Northwest Sports Show at the Minneapolis Convention Center, March 22nd through the 25th. Be sure to ask for the show special, where with a qualified purchase, you'll receive a free three-piece furniture set or free wireless remote. And mention you heard this ad on KQ for an additional $50 off a dock or lift system. To find out more about Flow Systems, visit their website at floeintl.com. Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutrimost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutrimost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds, they're going fast. Unlike any other weight loss program, Nutrimost is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a free informational dinner where you too can learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client, an owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, 6 p.m. at Jake's City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited, so call 763-333-7337 now to register. That's 763-333-7337. And to wish you could quit, but you're really 
We're back. Sitting in for Tom Bernard. I'm Dave Schrader. Tom will be back with us Monday. Alex is in studio with me along with L.A. Nick, Mike Molina, Doug Sprinthal. The eye candy. The eye candy. <laughs> You're a good-looking man. Uh, yeah, so we were just talking about the, the medicinal side of all of this. I, you know, the, the problem is there's just how do you fix things? You know, we're always trying to make these next leaps and bounds in science. We're trying to find the, the next bullet. And, and I know I know you lead a, a clean lifestyle, Alex. You, at least you try as best you can on that aspect. But, I mean, do you see that there are points when medicine is important and we need it? Oh, absolutely. Like, I am about as anti-antibiotic as you can get because it messes up your entire system and can create superbugs and blah 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 blah. but it, yeah absolutely there are reasons that people should take antibiotics That's right like but i'd say that probably 75 percent of the time that people are prescribed antibiotics they don't need to take them i think that's getting better because the doctors are saying look you well because all this MRSA and staff yeah. and stuff because people yeah it's like people would five years ago have a cough and here take this antibiotic because it's just like why not but then they didn't realize how oh wait then we're gonna build antibiotic resisting bugs that we can't get rid of and people are gonna be hospitalized for months at a time and so but yeah i definitely i think there's i mean i think medication for mental health is a wonderful wonderful thing and it can take somebody's life to from horribly depressing and they don't want to live anymore to having a really good life but it bothers me that they're not under the supervision of right. any they're not controlled buddy. it's not controlled so it's once just they like, stop taking it yeah you can just go into any clinic get prozac zoloft whatever and then it's like bye good luck so i just looked this up guess what the life expectancy this is canada but they're canada and the u.s are the same thing yeah in 1920, so 100 years ago, guess what, for men, what life expectancy was? Close, 58 and a half. Oh. That's it now? That's what it is. No, in, no, that's in 1920. That's, oh, okay. that's what it is in Russia right What's now. What's it now, like 80? Yeah, I think Minnesota just went over 80. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's actually uh, 80 for men, 82 for women. Yeah. But Russia's still 54. We're more concerned about the men part. <laughs> Russia's still 54. Is it men. really? Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> Oh dear! I think it's in the it's still in the in the mid fifties for Russia. Wow! But yeah, so I think that the main issue with the medication side of it is, I wish that only mental health professionals could give prescriptions for mental health medication. I agree. And when you're on mental health medication, you were under their supervision the entire time. And, and this, nobody gave me instructions that yeah. you can't stop taking these yeah. all of a sudden. They didn't even tell me that. Well, that's like, I have so many like, friends. That, I was so mad when I went back. I'm like, how could you not tell me this? Yeah. Well, I have so many friends that it's like, you know, I had a friend a few months ago that she was like, yeah, I was on this medication for, um, so I don't even remember what she had, but she's like, I could not breathe. Like, I was sitting there in my house, just sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, I just couldn't catch my breath, no matter what. And it went on for, like, a week, and then she went into the doctor, and they're like, oh, yeah, the side effect of this medication is air hunger. Yeah, forget air about that. Air hunger? Yeah. What marketing genius came up with that term? No, that's like a... It's, um, no, I like the one that they the whole list, and the, the bottom says, or death. <laughs> <laughs> or death, yeah, I know. But air hunger is a side effect of pregnancy too, and oh, I get really? I get it a lot. Yeah, I'll just be sitting there, and it's just like, no matter how deep I'm breathing, yeah, I, don't think I, I just want air can't feel like I'm getting enough air. I don't think and I'd like, like that. My father-in-law, he's on this medication that he 
It can make your entire body, it like breaks out in a rash, but it doesn't hurt or anything. It just looks bad. But one in three people get this and they didn't tell him when they gave it to him that this was likely to happen. So he thought he was having some horrid reaction to it. And they're like, no, most people get it. And, but they didn't tell him beforehand. You know, I, uh, are I'm you, sure it wasn't in uh, the super small print on the outside of the paperwork that they give him. Because if you look he's, now, he's the prescriptions, each well, page gets that's smaller. That's what they said to me. They said, you should have read the paperwork that the pharmacist gave Well, him. he's a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that he would have read, I don't know. No. You know no. what? Doctors <laughs> are the worst patients. They don't read anything. If the doctor tells them to do something, they just did it. Uh. Even nephews going to pharmacy school and... And he says, you know, what you should really do is actually just talk to the pharmacist when oh, you yeah. pick up meds and you have them because they know more about them than the docs do. Yeah, yeah. they do. Absolutely. Actually, when I've gone in for cold medicine, I've gone up to the, the pharmacist. I'm like, what do you get? What do I got out here that's going to actually help? And he goes, absolutely nothing. That's all garbage. Every piece out there will not help you. <laughs> It'll give you the most temporary and literally temp- maybe 20 minutes of temporary relief. He goes, the good stuff is back here. And I said, all prescription? He goes, no, it's just the stuff you we have to legally yeah, take your ID for. But they've told me what goes. And, and there's been times where I've been like, um, I was on blood pressure medication. And all of a sudden, I just had this. <coughs> oh, <coughs> always yeah, felt like yeah. I got that dry You're cough. You were on Metropolol, weren't yes. you? Yes. <laughs> and I, I go in and I said, uh, I got this uh, cough. I need something that will knock it out. And he goes, uh, are you on blood pressure med? And I said, yeah, I'm a Toparol or whatever. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah that ain't going to help because that's just a side effect of uh, blood pressure meds. It goes away in a couple of years. Yeah. And he, I go, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, it's something you'll either get used to or you won't. And I'm like, but I haven't had it in the last two years. He goes, yeah, sometimes it takes a while to build up that uh, irritation. Oh so God. I had to switch to another blood pressure medication, which, you know, uh, I'm sure something will fall off in six months because they didn't, you know, tell me on that, but it's just, you, you never know what you're going to well, do. Well, any medication you do mm-hmm. causes damage to something else, usually yeah. your, your liver or kidneys. Yeah. All medications. Yeah, I know I have to go in for regular liver oh, you checks do? and stuff like that to make sure that what I'm on is not affecting that. People don't even realize that even Tylenol or Excedrin, it causes liver damage. If you mm-hmm. take oh, it every right. single oh, day, yeah. Oh, yeah. you're damaging your liver. There's, uh, you were talking about the ablation surgery. I had WPW, Wolf Parkinson White Syndrome, which is where the heart will all of a sudden, literally, we could just be sitting here and you could look at my chest and it'll start going like I just ran a marathon. And I could get up and run a marathon and not have that effect. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's basically the electro impulse that goes into your heart. There's like a built in microchip. When that impulse comes in and goes, let's go 400 beats a minute, the microchip says, nope. No, we not only beat today. 80, 80 beats a minute. Well, what it was doing was it had shorted it out. So it was jumping over that and causing my heart to snap into these moments. Oh, so I had to go in and have ablation surgery, yeah. which I woke up from twice in the middle of yeah. because they can't completely knock you out and yeah, put you in the no, twilight. They to, yeah. So they feed the wires up into you from your, your crotch and, and your uh, neck in the major arteries. They go in and basically stimulated my heart into an attack so they could find the bad pathway. Then right. they burn it out, forcing the pa- the pathway back in. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it it's is. Pretty it, amazing, it's pretty yeah. remarkable. But yeah. when they hit me, I, I sat up. I go, <gasps> and the guy goes, why is he awake? And they said, put him back down. And I'm like, what? Oh, it hurts. He goes, oh it will. And yeah. I'm like, what? You think this is bad? Here, try this. Yeah. <laughs> and I was done. And then when they pulled the wires out, I woke up because it felt like somebody was shooting electricity through my legs. So they pulled the wires out. Uh, and then afterwards, I, I thought it was funny, right? They, I have to, because they'd gone in through the major artery in my thighs, right? Uh, I have to lay on my back, and I'm not a back sleeper. And as it is, I've already been laying on my back for mm-hmm. hours during the surgery, so my back is cramping. 
and I start coming out of it, and I'm like, I gotta, uh, I gotta roll over, and they're like, you can't roll over. I'm like, I got, I can't lay like this. I can't lay like this. So my aunt gets the nurse, and the nurse was not having my whining. Right? Yeah. She comes over and she goes, um, uh, well, let me call the doctor and see if I can get you some morphine or something. And I'm like, all right, all right. And she comes back. She goes, well, he said I can give you up to two. I'm going to give you a quarter dose. I said a quarter dose isn't going to do it. <laughs> she hit me with that. I was out like a light. Um, or, buddy, buddy of mine from oh. college, his dad invented the heart gather. Oh, really? Yeah. Amplatz. Name the, Amplatz Medical Center. What? Look at you. Yep. Do you know about my mother's interactions with one of the Amplatz people? They're all crazy. We have to talk about Allegedly. that. Allegedly. Oh, oh, can we talk about it on air? God, yes, oh. off the air. Okay. Oh, my God. My mom's going to lose her mind. So Mike, maybe you can Kurt. delete those names as we mention them on the show. <laughs> keep your uh, keep, keep uh, Tom's show legal free here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some skeletons in that family. But <laughs> Kurt, Kurt was brilliant. I mean, he is brilliant. Yeah. He, yeah. And he went into the same field as his dad. He started making uh, sheets that they would use in uh, surgery on babies' brains. That mm. and, and he also started a company and made a, just a ton of dough making high-end fishing lures. He has a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot. I went to the doctor yesterday. They told me I'm going to live a very long time. Of course you so are. So did you up the month count? Duh, I, I, I'm going to have to. She did, oh, yeah. She did you said ch- you were going to die at whatever. 322 months. Yeah. <laughs> she did a chest no, x-ray. No, I bet you you were down to 290. So you've added another 32 months. No, it was always, always, always over three. It was close. And then she did. She checked my heart. They did an uh, ultrasound, checked every valve. Mm-hmm. She said, you look like a 16-year-old boy. Everything inside there. Is, is that because you're smooth? I don't smooth know. Smooth and shiny? She said, your heart, your lungs look like a 16-year-old boy. She said, you're going to live a long time. I had a, uh, on Mother's Day, uh, six, seven years ago, I wake up not feeling right. I get up, I go take a shower, and I'm like, I still don't feel right. So I go back and lay down, and my whole left arm is hurting. And Ooh. I'm like, but I don't know if I was laying it, because I, I sleep weird. I kind of bunch my yeah. arm up, and I lay on it. So I didn't know if I laid on a nerve wrong. So it's bothering me. So I get up, and I, I tell my girlfriend at the time, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the hospital and just get checked. So I, I go into the hospital. Um, they're there with me. They're running these stick tests, looking for these blood gases from a right. heart attack. Yep, yep, they're yep. doing EKG. They can't find anything wrong mm-hmm. with me. They kept me all day, and then they bring in dinner for me. I start eating, and I'm like, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. He goes, well, we're going to send you home. He goes, we've done, you know, usually we only do three of these stick tests. We've done six. There's nothing showing you have a, a, a heart issue. I said, all right, I'll go home. And I go, oh. And he goes, what? And I grab my jaw. I said, man, it just feels like somebody punched me in the jaw and drool just starts pouring out of my mouth. The doctor puts his hand on my chest, lays me back down. He goes, get him to the ICU. He's having a heart attack. And they're like, what? So they dope me up overnight, which I thought was weird. You're having a heart attack. Don't worry. We're going to put you to sleep and do an exploratory tomorrow. How about you fix me now, Doc? I'm having a heart attack. But they ran the the hoses through me. I had a a strange issue. Um, I had a near-fatal, massive, non-heart attack heart attack. I slipped a clot somehow that went through a PFO, which is a hole in my heart. And the heart, the way it pumps, it shoots usually the shot right up to the brain. And it was a widow maker. But what happened was this blood clot went in and the heart beat the right way that it pushed it down into another artery. And they showed me a photograph and it was like the size of my pinky, you know, the the x-ray. And it's all dark gray and there's just this real thin line of black and i go uh, what's that and he goes well that was all that was left of the blood flow to that part of your heart so you don't have the heart damage you would have had in a heart attack but you had the closest to a massive widow making heart attack you could possibly have without having a heart attack he's i said well what'd you do he goes we just 
they basically laid a little vacuum in there and sucked the blood clot up. And that was it. But See, that, that was another moment where they kept me on that blood thinner mm-hmm. for a long time. And I'm like, I, do I have to be on this? Like, well, we think so. And then I said, well, what do we, well okay, I'll t- tell you what. Take yourself off it for the next two weeks, and we're going to test your blood. So they test my blood. Oh, yeah, you definitely have this uh, coagulation issue. You're going to have to yeah. stay on it. So I start reading myself online about this. And it said, in order to get proper tests, you should be off this for six weeks. I'm like, I've only been off two weeks. And the doctor. Don't worry about that. Just uh, So I kept myself off it for two weeks, or uh, six weeks total. And then I demanded another blood test. And he's like, well, you're not supposed to just quit that cold turkey. I said, I'd already been off it two weeks. What is the harm of another four? So I go in. I don't have the coagulant issue. It no. was a byproduct of the of the uh, blood thinner that they were giving me. Yeah, you have to educate yourself over right. top so of your that, doctor. And you he really goes, do. you probably saved your life, especially in Minnesota, because I slip. I fall every yeah. winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on this blood thinner, you whack your head once and... See ya. Yeah, you're yeah, That's how I knew my second marriage was in trouble. Because the first AFib, the first time you have an AFib episode, you think you're going to die. Because your heart starts going 160 beats a minute and then stops and then it goes all over the place. Right. I woke up Sunday, it's like 3 in the morning on Monday. And wife at the time rolls over and goes, so what's the matter with you? And I says, I think I'm having a heart attack. And she goes, well, why don't you call me when you get to the hospital and let me know how everything's going. <laughs> So I drove myself there, which is you're not supposed to do no, that. No. Look at you and I. We're Iron Men, man. But, but I was close by. I went into right. Woodwinds. And you get really good service at a hospital. And they say, sir, can we help you? And you say I, the I following, I think I'm having a heart attack. Right. Yeah. You get your own chair. You get your own <laughs> guides and everything. And Heart attack and you're in labor. That's You're going to yeah. get the star treatment. Yep, that's right. <laughs> And then, and then they did that. That's how I knew about the blood gases thing. They did that and said, yeah, you don't have a heart attack. How do you feel? And I said, suddenly a lot better. Right. <laughs> what was the, the diagnosis then? AFib. Just They AFib. said you should talk to your, uh, go see your doctor. And I said, that would be helpful if I actually had one. Right. And they assigned me one. And this guy, he was just awesome. He's total type A and a total nut job. Those so the he, best doctors. The first time I went through all this stuff with him and he goes, ah, you should be fine. We're going to do put you on some different meds that will help it and uh, you got a long life ahead of you. Not to say that you might not drop dead in the parking lot in 10 minutes because that can <laughs> happen. Well, that's... So one time he's doing some blood work about something. He goes, I'll call you Sunday with the results. His phone rings and goes, Dr. Cunningham, I got your results from your test. Ah, shit! I said, what's the matter? And he says, oh, nothing. You're fine. The Vikings just fumbled. Oh, my oh God. Hands up. So did that cause the heart attack? <laughs> Oh That's God. great. We have to uh, take a break. When we come back, Tina Alexis Allen joins us to talk about her book, Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives. Tom Gardner, if you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. And while other sellers and real estate agents hibernate, the Chris Lindahl team is selling homes like hotcakes. Chris has done a great job. We have our house on the market with Chris right now, as a matter of fact. And the video he did is amazing. The Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team for a reason. They play to win, and they've got the skill players to sell your home fast. In fact, they sell a home on average every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until spring to sell your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401-SOLD. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. 
That's 763-401-SOLD. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. I've been working too hard to give you a heart attack. I, 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 I. You want to know by now. That wasn't my case. It wasn't working too hard to give me the heart attack. <laughs> ak, 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 ak. Radio, that's not a thing, is it? Oh, my dad could do it. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom is off in Punta Cana. He'll be back with you guys Monday. Tomorrow, Alex and Catherine will be joining me again. Along with, I think we've got some comedians. We've got some other guests. We've got a lot of stuff. Uh, you might even be able to win twenty grand tomorrow. Well, not specifically really? tomorrow, but you know, tune in and find out what's going on. Tina Alexis Allen joins me now. Her book, Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives. Tina, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. From New York, it's raining and snowing here. Oh yeah, you guys are another nor'easters heading your way, huh? I know, it's crazy. Yeah, we've been having some crazy weather lately, but uh, it's okay. I'm, I'm safe, I'm inside, so it's all good. And anyway, how could I complain? You're in Minneapolis. See, I should never complain about weather. You know, That's it's funny. Right. All of my East Coast friends keep saying that, but year after year, it's the photographs of the East Coast with their exactly. uh, roof-high snowbanks that make Hello. me think, hmm, you guys might be a little worse for wear than we are. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I guess it's just the cold we imagine. You got all that cold. Oh, no. You know? I'll take the cold over 42 feet of snow any day. Uh, actress yeah. and playwright Tina Alexis Allen's audacious memoir unravels her privileged suburban Catholic upbringing that uh, was shaped by her formidable father, a man whose strict religious devotion and dedication to his large family hid his true nature in a life defined by a deep, secret, and dangerous lies. What made you decide to come out and, and tell the story now, Tina? Well, you know, I've been working uh, as an actor for, you know, 20 years, and I've done uh, a lot of autobiographical work. Um, I've done two solo shows, um, both, you know, you know, chronicling things uh, throughout my life. Uh, I played my father five years ago off-Broadway, telling his version of this book, uh, or, or much of it. And um, it just feels like a culmination of um, almost my life's work, of kind of unraveling... Uh, you know, some painful traumatic stuff from my childhood that um, I've, I've had enough years to sort through. And I just don't feel of my life in the way uh, I guess I used to. And I felt like now was the time where I could really tell it from my younger, you know, younger voice, which is how the book is written. Um, first person from my 18-year-old to early 20s voice. Now, your father, a very devout Catholic, was was he in constant internal turmoil because of his his religious upbringing and his sexual predilection um i think he i think he definitely uh struggled you know i i don't know once how am i to know why he uh, you know drank heavily which he did but but i sometimes muse that it probably had to do with the fact that you know he was trying to consolidate being a very devout um faith-based man who was devoted to the church uh, in more ways than we used to, we knew initially uh, with his Vatican connections. But um, yeah, I do think his 
his sexuality, which he, he shared with me when I was 18, secretly, uh, probably had a lot to do with um, with the guilt and, and shame and trying to consolidate all that. Yeah. What what made him at the age of 18 to finally confide in you with what he would uh, what he'd been hiding all this time? Um, well, basically, what happened is, you know, I had been um, living secrets and lies myself. Um, I had been with both. Um, uh, men and women, boys and girls, you know, uh, at a young age. Um, by the time I was 18, I was in a relationship with a woman, uh, quite a bit my senior. And uh, my dad and uh, my girlfriend and I went out to dinner, and uh, he just basically picked up on it. And, and then after he said he knew, which, of course, was shocking and, you know, scary enough, um, uh, he proceeded to say, I buried my lover in the war, and his name was Omar. And, um, you know, that changed my life. Uh, I became his confidant and his secret keeper, and in a way, he became mine. Uh, it pretty much spirals out of control. I won't give it all away, but um, we went on a pretty wild uh, and, and wicked journey um, together until uh, a lot of stuff starts to fall apart. Now, was he aware of what was going on in your youth when you were nine years old and your brothers were sexually abusing you? No, um, but I did. I, I did tell him, and that's that's uh, actually uh, a part of the book. But um, uh, no, uh, he did definitely did not know. You know, he he was a, you know, on the surface he was a Catholic travel agent. That that was a legitimate business he had. But of course, the book reveals a secret double life uh, of work that he was doing with the church and the Vatican. Um, but he was just gone so much. You know, I, I don't think he knew much. In fact, I didn't really have. A, much of a dad that, that I, you know, was close with or, or felt maybe even loved me. So at 18, when he, when he dropped this bomb on me and I became his chosen one and seemed to just then uh, just have nothing but affection and love for me, it was kind of complicated. You know, it came with a price, but I did appreciate having a father um, that I never really had prior to that. But no, he didn't know anything about that. And, the and I wasn't going to tell him, yeah. And and for somebody, you know, I mean, you survive this fact with this secret. I mean, was it hard to to hold that in and, and keep that secret to yourself, uh, you know, at the age of nine and go on? Or was it that just was part of your life, so you didn't know that it, it didn't belong there? Yeah, you, you know, Dave, I think I didn't know because, um, you know, when I look back on it, I think uh, that the house was, you know, it was chaotic. I had 12 older brothers and sisters. Um you know, when something like this happens inside of a home, and, and we all know that it does uh, probably more often than we'd like to think, um, it's complicated because you've got, you know, sort of a base level of love for your family. So, it, it you know, even though there's a sense that, of course, this is wrong, uh, I don't like it, there's also this complication of I, I'm, I'm not wanting to get somebody in trouble or... Uh, it's it's just it's hard, you know. And in my house, we grew up in a culture of secrecy. So even though that I couldn't have told you that then, but when you grow up that way, obviously my father had lots of secrets. And even though we didn't know them, you know, it's almost like it's in the air. You know, you know what I mean? Right. When you're just immersed in a way of life, you don't even have to have words for it. Kids are smart, so I think I knew secrets were part of this world i was in and so as you're dealing yeah. with this uh, abuse how long did that from age nine to how long that that you had to deal yeah. with this? um so i so i think that it, it probably was about uh two or three, two i'd say two or three years my 
I, I got into um, a crazy uh, liaison, I'll call it. Um, it's hard to, I mean, it's abuse, but <laughs> that's what you call it. But at the time, and in the book, I'm still very protective of this next um, crazy um, liaison that I began having, which was with my middle school teacher. Uh, so I think in a way I got away from my brothers, but sort of ran into the arms of um, what looked better. But um, of course, I know better now than to say that. But at the time, uh, you know, when you're dying of thirst, you know, you don't really know uh, that you're drinking a glass of dirty water when someone hands it to you, if you know what I mean. I do. Do you think that when you, um, you know, I know that as you just alluded to, the the inappropriate relationship that started to take place with the teacher. Do you yeah. think that because of the secrets that you were hiding, the, the kind of broken aspect of who you were was was evident to this person and that that's why, I mean, how do I pose this question properly? Is that how they know, know. that you're, yeah, I know you're accessible to that uh, kind yeah. of uh, attachment? Yeah, um, I, I, I don't I don't think um, in any way what you're saying is off base. I think, in fact, um, I, I think it's one of the problems with, you know, kids that aren't sort of getting their needs met in a healthy way. I think they are the ones that are sort of hanging out or needing attention or, in my case, really acting out. I mean, I was a total uh, troublemaker by that point. I was acting out what was happening at home, getting in trouble in school, you know, a wise, smart-ass. Uh, tomboy, um, and I was, you know, releasing, I'm sure, all the angst, you know, sideways in class and troublemaker. So she kind of took me under her wing. This teacher was a woman. I don't know if I said that. Um, so uh, she, it began like that. So it began sort of as a mentoring, as a help, as a let's get her back on track. I was at a Catholic school. The nuns basically asked this lay teacher to, you know, she was the cool teacher. So they asked her to sort of take me under her wing and and so it all sort of started in a positive way. Um, and yes, I do think my, look, I'd already been sexualized, so I think people do pick up on that, absolutely. Pedophiles and otherwise, you know. And, and I'm curious, did, did your sexual choice come because of the abuse that you dealt with at the hands of men at first, do you think? Or, or did, was that, and, and I only ask that because there are so many people that question sure. that, that aspect of, of sexuality. Where, where does yes, that come no. from? Yeah, I think it's a it's a, a perfectly valid question. Actually, um, it's interesting. I I feel like um, you know, Dave. I'm at a place in my life. I happen to be with a woman now for a long time, but uh, and I'm happy and good. But um, I I feel uh, if I wasn't in the relationship I was in now, I could easily fall in love with a man. I I don't feel. Uh, I actually personally, I don't like to identify because it's it's just I, I'm that's just who I am. But I think initially my choices for sure was coming out of a reaction absolutely um but i do feel that i've i'm in a place now i've loved men i've loved women um and i feel very comfortable in my sexuality and i i see more i guess i would say human beings um than i do necessarily identifying this or that love is love that's that's the aspect it has nothing to do with general uh that's how I feel. I know that's not everybody's thing, and that's cool. But um, yeah, that's that's where I'm I'm coming from at this point in my life. Yeah, love is love. I know you want to kind of keep part of the book so that people read this about the the kind of uh, weirdness that opens up once your father has has come out to you. But talk to yeah. me about these secret stashes of cash, passports, yeah. and, and documents that I your know. father had. What what was yeah. going on? 
Yeah, so we, we always wondered, like, where all the cash came from because, you know, 13 kids, a swimming pool, Chevy Chase, Maryland, private schools. We traveled quite a bit, um, summer homes, sometimes at the beach. Um, it's like, okay, a Catholic travel agent, that's, that's pretty good. That was probably something uh, pretty in demand, <laughs> um, but not that much. Um, as I became closer to him, I started uh, carrying his secret at 18 and moving into my 20s. Um, I started to work for him in the summers, um, and I started to see things. And we also traveled together. So I, uh, you know, we went off to, to Europe and to the Middle East. And, and on many of these trips, I started seeing some behavior, and I noticed some things when I worked at the office. And, yes, a, a, a briefcase of cash and... Um, other things, which I won't give it all away, but um, there was definitely behavior. And my dad had very high connections to the Vatican, um, which didn't never really quite made sense to us, the level of access that he had. And so the book explores that and discovers that and answers some of that, not all of it, but um, definitely uh, without giving too much away. It's, it's a double life and then another double life. <laughs> So Your father was double. a vampire hunter for the Vatican? <laughs> exactly. How did you know? Well, it, it was bound to come out eventually. Uh, wow, to have all of this kind of subterfuge in your life and, and have all of this going on. You know, it says that this is a riveting cinematic true tale stranger than fiction. When you look back yeah. on this, is it like, you I mean, Hollywood, and especially in today's day and age, looking at a lot of the movies and, and stuff being trolled out, couldn't come up with something this deep and weird. Are you, yeah. is it hard for you to look at, or is it just like this kind of surreal life you've led? Well, I think, you know, you like any kid, you know, you know what you know. You know, kids grow up in poverty, and, and God, God forbid any of us had to go, go through that sort of serious poverty, and I'm sure they feel... Um, a physical sensation about that, but at the same time, you know, there's so much pain that kids suffer of all kinds, and yet, when you're on the other side of it, and that's not your experience, on a certain level, I don't want to say it, 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 it appears worse, but I think the, the relationship to this thing isn't as extreme as we on the other side see it to be, because it's all they know, it's all I knew. So not to say it wasn't horrific and painful and messed me up, <laughs> it did, it really did for a while, you know, and I had a lot of work to do. I was on Megyn Kelly on Monday morning, and she sort of rattled off some of the things you just did, and then she said, she didn't know where to go, she's like, what, where do you want to start, you know, and it kind of threw me, and, and that struck me when I looked at the, the footage they did uh, at the beginning, they sort of ran through what you just ran through, and it, it kind of hit me, and sometimes it does. You know, and that was one moment where you just stop and go, wow, I did survive that. You know, like that was big and it is big. And I know it intellectually, but I don't always own it the way other people do, if you know what I mean. Right. Well, you come at it from a different perspective and, and looking yeah. at those things like we talked with Scott Hamilton. It's not the falling down that defines you. It's the standing back up. And how do you just make life happen out of what you've dealt with? Instead of becoming a professional victim, you became somebody that moved forward tina alexis allen will have uh, the information up links to the book thank you for joining us and spending some time here we will be back we've got more coming your way i'm dave schrader and this is the tom bernard show